Highly Invested, a podcast centered around reading and rereading Brandon Sanderson's ever-expanding Cosmere series. My name is James, and I'm joined by two super spooky skeletons, Richie, a.k.a. Faceless, and Betsy, a.k.a. Spook. Boo! It is our Halloween episode. Everyone, if, Spooky if, if episode. this is being released on the 31st, like like uh, it sometimes happens on Sundays, uh, then this is coming out on Halloween. That's pretty cool. I'm not crazy, right? That is Halloween. Uh, it Monday. It's not even it'll close be, to Halloween. <laughs> Halloween is like Tuesday, dude. I'm not good at dates, okay? I'm really bad at dates. It's That's not fair my enough. Fault. Last episode came out Tuesday because I went to the uh, to the Kremlings. I went to a Giants game and um, I was tired. <laughs> well, that's because the Giants won. Valid. Let's Valid. go. Valid. Yeah. Had they lost, the the episode wouldn't have come out at all. (laughs) It would have just ended. The podcast (laughs) is over. (laughs) Well, I have some questions for you guys, trying to continue off of Betsy's incredible question chain. Wow, Betsy Uh, really just grinding those questions out. That was amazing. Uh, It was was fascinating. I've re-listened to that start, to that episode now, at least like three or four times. Pure chaos. Crack it up. I think there's something about being done with a really long work day and like sitting down to record with a glass of wine. The two last times that I've had to like host the episode have <laughs> just not not been great. <laughs> They've been amazing. I don't know what you mean. Honestly, by not keep it great. keep keep the wine flowing, please. The spice must flow. Uh, but my questions. Uh, it is our Halloween episode, so I would love to know, what are your guys' Halloween costumes for uh, this upcoming weekend? Well, just so everybody knows, I'm actually hosting a costume Halloween party this weekend. I feel like one thing in New York City that is a little annoying about Halloween is if you want to go out on Halloween weekend, a lot of places like it's really expensive or they want you to like buy a ticket to go or everything is overcrowded. Yeah. It's a rip off. So it's so much more fun to just do like a apartment party with your friends. And this year I really wanted everybody to commit to the costume. So I thought I'd just take it upon myself and host the party. So I'm in party planning mode, but excited to see what everyone's going to be dressed up as. I am actually going to wear a costume. This is my first Halloween in maybe four or five years that I'm. I really went out. I got a costume. Going to be Bugs Bunny. I didn't Bunny. know this about you. Dapper always goes as a costume. as a tourist. I almost he, always just put on a Hawaiian shirt and a hat and say I'm a tourist. And sometimes I don't even buy like a disposable camera. But no, this time, Betsy, I. I feel like maybe, Richie, I knew that you went as Bugs Bunny from Space Jam, and that's why it was in my head, because I saw it, and I was like, oh, that's it. That's the one. So yeah, that I'm was pretty like, excited that was for like that. Three, three, three or two years ago, I went as Bugs Bunny, but I think you're going to look great. It's going to be funny. Three or two. Anyway. Uh, uh, me and my backwards brain. But yeah, it was, uh, it was like two years ago, and I think... Um, I think it was a lot of fun. Um, I agree with Betts. Going out during Halloween can be quite obnoxious in New York City. I would I would say it's similar to like SantaCon. Uh, for those Kremlings who maybe don't know about SantaCon Santa in New Con. York City, um, that's when everyone from Long Island and <laughs> other 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 places come into New York c- City, and they're all dressed as Santa Claus, and they just throw up everywhere. And it's very it's very that's <laughs> pretty order. much it. They just they just do that. Yeah. It's. It, I choose to stay inside during SantaCon. I do not want to be. I used to be one of those guys. Well, um, yeah, you had to do it once. Yeah, yeah you had exactly. to do it once. But I don't want to be anywhere near that anymore. 
No, I, my parents yeah, once so visited I'm me. I'm sure we'll have lots of stories. Also, we never answered your question, Tyler. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, what are, what are your <laughs> Halloween costumes? Um, I'm gonna go as Miles Morales from Into the Spider Verse. That's a good one. And Ken, Ken is gonna go as uh, Spider Gwen. Oh, nice. that's good. Couples costume. <laughs> I think I'm gonna be Toad from Mario. Oh, that's great. That's really that's good. Awesome. I like that one a lot, Betsy. I've got I've got a little mushroom hat. I'm working the costume around that. I mean, that's pretty much it. You're gonna have a mushroom hat and then no shirt. Oh no, a vest. You're gonna need a vest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try to make myself a little star. Oh, that's awesome. From, yeah, like from Mario, Mario Party. Party. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see where the night takes us. It should be fun. No, thank I'm you really for hosting. For it. It's gonna be great. All of our friends are gonna be there. Um, none of us decided to dress up as a character from uh, the Cosmere. I thought about it. I was gonna you just did? do like wear. I was just. I was just gonna like wear a crappy old shirt and put my arm in my shirt and be the Lopin and just say Goncho to everyone the entire that's, night. That's so, such low effort. But I think <laughs> I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be that guy. Like Betsy's putting a lot of work into this party. I don't want to be. The least that you can do guy. is wear a costume. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can be that guy. Every party needs that guy. Does Everyone it, needs. Does it? Every party needs that guy who puts face and then and then or just puts book on their face in their Facebook. Oh my god! I've never heard that. They just, I've never I know, heard. I haven't never heard that. Like the guy who writes B O O K on their face. And that's it. Their Facebook. Oh my God! What? They're not even. You could have done Facebook. that, Dapper. I could have just uh, put on like a name tag, and been like Bob. Or you could go. go you can go a couple layers down and just be a picture of Bugs Bunny on Facebook. What? What? Uh, I'll see myself out. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. I don't know what the touch. You know you what? You could do Bugs, Bugs Bunny, Bunny with a shard blade. Bugs Bunny with a shard. Fuck. With the Space Jam <laughs> outfit on too. Uh, what's up, Gancho? <laughs> That's good. That was great, Rich. You know, with it being Halloween, I wanted to know what is your guys' favorite holiday? Is it like Anne and Halloween? I feel like I just love the like quote unquote holiday season. Like once it hits October first through the end of December, I feel like people just get really excited about like the seasons changing and the Halloween, Thanksgiving, yeah. Christmas, like those three months together and all the like decorations and ambiance and everything. Like, I feel like that's just the best time of year. Yeah. I would honestly, I would, I would lean towards, I'd lean, I'd lean towards Christmas. Um, Halloween is really there, like high up there for me, but you know, Christmas is just nice to remember my family and, and to get them things into to make their lives better and just spend time with them. If and then appreciate, like I feel like I'm just appreciative of my friends around the holiday season. That's really sweet. I love that. And you know, mine's the same. I, I go between Thanksgiving and Christmas all of the time, personally, because you just you're with people you love, and you don't got to be, I don't know, just going to 50, 60 hour work weeks the entire time and just slogging through. So yeah, I get it. Oh, so Betsy, uh, before we dive in. What did you think? Uh, did you reread the prelude at all since our last conversation? We told you to go back there and check it out. I did. I just reread the prelude today. And it was kind of interesting because even though I felt like it 
kind of left me with more questions than answers and it wasn't completely like clarifying to reread it it did make me think about reading it for the first time with zero context of what was going on and all the ideas I had in my head of what this could possibly lead to in this whole book yeah versus now I feel like it's more of a like stepping stone or like context for understanding everything that we've gotten so far in terms of the lore right um right. like little things like the void bringers I know in one of these chapters we kind of get some confirmation that they are the stone creatures and then also this idea of the heralds right we've mm-hmm. you've, like you've been, you've been reading this book so far and they've been mentioning heralds constantly to go back to the prelude and to see at least two of them have a conversation. It, I, I did the same thing around this point. And oh, I thought yeah. It was fascinating. Yeah. And the guys know because I was texting them all day, but it was just definitely leaving me with a lot more questions about the heralds and the religion of Voronism and just kind of wondering how this moment fits into that history and like where the heralds went and what they're escaping from Uh, we don't have to get into it but i've got a lot of questions (laughs) and it was interesting to go back and read this yeah that's all i'll say for now i love it i love it i'll say when i was around this part of the book i did the same thing i went back and reread it and i reread it a lot this is not the last time i reread the prelude so and probably i'll reread it again a bunch so time flies Well, today, Kremlings, we'll be discussing chapters 61, 62, and 63 of The Way of Kings. As always, this podcast will be divided into a spoiler section and a non-spoiler section for the listeners reading the Cosmere novels for the first time. And with that, let's dive in to chapter 61, Right for Wrong. Chapter 61, Right for Wrong. Picking up right where we left off. We rejoin Dalinar, Navani, and Renarin, discussing the visions and the implications of knowing that the visions are real. Dalinar and Navani are arguing over whether or not it was really Nohaden, the author of The Way of Kings, and Renarin is there, for propriety's sake. Dalinar insists that he saw Nohaden and the aftermath of one of the desolations of old, a time when nine out of ten people died when the desolation was over. Dalinar even thinks he saw one of the Voidbringers, those evil creatures of legend. Navani bypasses this while insisting that the language connection, the Dawn Chant, is what proves these visions are real, and that people will finally believe him, shocking Dalinar that she would even consider telling people about his visions. He fears that people will view him as a mystic, someone who would be denounced by the church, but Renarin corrects him that he is seeing the past, which is not illegal. Dalinar makes it clear that none of this matters as they don't know who is sending these visions, It could be anyone. Just something or someone wants him to know about the desolations and the night's radiant. Navani and Renarin take this as an opportunity to ask Dalinar more about when when he sought out the old magic. Dalinar refuses to explain more than that he knows his boon and he knows his curse. (laughs) Moving on, the chat turns back to what the desolations are, and Navani offers a folktale as an explanation. The origin of the Makabaki people. 
reflecting again on how beyond terrible and destructive these desolations are. From here, Renarin and Navani turned to leave, and while Dalinar's son hastily exited the room, Navani lingered, and again flirted with Dalinar, but even more forward this time. She wants to know if he meant it when he said that he trusted her. And while slowly closing the door and laying her hand on his chest, Oh boy. Dalinar protests, but gives in, kissing the woman he secretly loved for decades, the woman who married his brother. The two hold each other close after the kiss, discussing how the world seems to be continually getting worse. The high storms grow in strength. Men and women shout cryptic messages as they die. And a shin shard bearer, clad in white, assassinated the king of Yaakoved. After arguing again that they should be together, that Dalinar is already gossiped about and Navani is ignored, so what could be worse? Navani leaves Dalinar alone with his thoughts. I saw that, Rich. Uh, I'm just saying, I saw it. I know, Rich, he was making some amazing facial expressions. Well, there were some cool things (laughs) happening. I mean, like... uh, getting hot and heavy here in uh in the room with dalinar and navani oh my goodness also i love what a mood they hold each other while the world continues to get worse well, i mean that's that's what they're talking about I mean, they, yeah, they find too, solace in each other real. also dappert expertly sidestepped me writing shard pooper in i his, saw it uh, as it came and he yeah, said thanks for that instead i didn't even see that it's probably why my voice got a lot louder when I read that part, because I saw Honestly, something was I'm wrong. Not, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. This, is, this is an interesting chapter, right? We, we yeah. take a lot of the the implications of the Dawn Chain and learning that the visions are real, and they really discuss it. But similar to Betsy and the prelude, I do feel like they have more questions than answers at this point. Uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, like, I think one of the most fascinating things here is that is obviously we got to talk about it. Dalinar says he visit he has visited the Night Watcher, and that he knows that this is not related to his boon and his curse. That's interesting that you say that. That's the most interesting thing to you, because I felt like when I was reading this, I I made a note of it. It was just kind of interesting. Like I felt like they brought that up, and then they immediately brushed it aside, like. They were like, oh, maybe it's about that time that you visited the Night Watcher. And Dalinar was like, nope, it's definitely not that. And everyone was like, okay, Okay. it's not that. (laughs) And then they moved on. And I kind of was like, okay, I feel like that's in there for a reason. Like, it's definitely going to come back at some point. It was just funny to me that everyone was kind of immediately like, okay, guess not. It is interesting that they all just took his word for it. But I mean, like, why would he lie at this point? He's just like... I know what it was and it was because because what if it was like <laughs> it was like he has an extra pinky toe he's like I literally know that it's not that yeah I don't think he's lying I just thought it was just a funny like I felt like maybe like drop like bra- lore drop like maybe Brandon like was sort of remind keeps reminding us that this is in there kind mm-hmm. of like the same way we had the chasm fiend in the last chapter like this will Fair. come back at some oh, yeah. point, check, but it's, check not, off's it's gone. not here yeah, yet. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's, it's a it's a, it's a a Chekhov's Dalinar Night Watcher visit. Nice. A Chekhov's Chasm Fiend, maybe. Chekhov's Chasm Fiend. Yes. Maybe that's what I'll be for Halloween. Uh, I had that for something else in these chapters, but I can't remember what it was. Well, I mean, I'll, I, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time that we really 
kind of see what he got from the Night Watcher. What happened, at least. Either the boon, the curse, who knows. Like He said it explicitly, but I feel like I've been kind of assuming what it was for a long time what like he it? explicitly says i can't i don't have the page in front of me but like he doesn't remember his wife at all mm. yep and i think it, they have said that in not so many words but then in this chapter they actually just in quite literally no words whenever someone yeah. says his wife's name instead of the name it says Shh, yeah like a breeze that's not mentioned in this chapter, but he does say was not losing all memory of his wife enough. I think yeah. that's like the first time like it's like really nailed on the head. You know, we know something about how he remembers his wife, but he's he's lost it. And, you know, but to your point, he knows the curse. I'm, I kind of assume that that was, yeah, the curse. But in that case, we don't know what he asked for. Or if maybe that's what he asked for and we don't know what the curse is. Yeah, we don't know. We but do he does. Um, it's nothing to do with the visions. That's all we know. Yeah. Um, uh, did you guys have any points for Navani's story about the Makabaki? Because I, uh, I kind of like, I, I was swept away by the end the same way that Dalinar was swept off his feet by Navani. So I really wasn't paying nice. attention to that part. <laughs> Not um, particularly. I mean, this is right after we got that really cool story from... Um, uh, Sigil. Wit. Uh, oh, oh, no, oh, no, 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 Wit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it just one didn't really. It, it just felt like a folk tale to me. There wasn't much kind of substance to it. The whole point was it really reiterates just how bad the desolations are. Yeah, and there was an interesting moment where Dalinar was saying he he. It was a concern that I hadn't thought of before, where he was saying he was worried. He was being influenced in some way um, to think that the Knights Radiant were good when it, I feel like it just reiterates the fact that everyone in this culture thinks the Knights Radiant are bad. Yeah. Um, and there was some interesting conversation around, you know, if they were to go public with this knowledge, you know, how would that be accepted? Um sort of this idea, oh, well, he's seeing the past, not the future. Yeah, so it's like weirdly, it, yeah. ar- like I wouldn't say arbitrary, but it's like I, if they care that much that it has to be the past and not the future, this is, this is uh, as Dapper has said many times, very stratified society. But I think it's true. Like from everything we've seen about the Alethi society so far, it's very just like a lot of politicking and people caring about like really minuscule things. And I feel like I could totally see how people would just come up with reasons to say that down, like this is all fake or. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing that really stood out to me about that whole thing with Dal and R and, you know, he's, he's really gossiped about, but that's something that Navani and him kind of connect on. They're pariahs. They're both, not like welcome in high society right now. And honestly, I'd way rather be Dalinar and gossiped about because what Navani discusses and how she's just like forgotten, pushed to the side. She was the, the wife of the most powerful man and she became one of the most powerful women. And now she just is known for being the king's mother and the mom of Yasna. That's, that's brutal. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, props to Navani like, for just standing her ground and getting what she wants. 
she she's like down our i i've been waiting for you you know and and it's time for you to grow up and 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 be with me yeah she traps him too because he's the one who initiates the kiss and then she's like well you can't run away now i want this and you clearly do too it's, it's great. It's so funny because Dalner's so uptight, but he is such a big softy. I'm like hoping that maybe being in love might make him relax a little bit. Mm. Like, yeah, he really is a softy. That's a great way to put it. He's, he, he really he, is. Yeah, so hopefully Navani can can smoothen out some of those rough edges and and maybe make him uh, lower his guard a little bit more. You know. Mm-hmm. Now. I do think it's worth bringing up a few other things that are kind of lore droppy. So unless you guys have anything else you want to say, I'll dive into that. This is the lore section of the episode. Dapper will now dive in to the lore of the chapter. I'll dive in. Splash. Uh, But it's all about the desolations. You know, this is kind of the first time I feel where they really discuss what these could have been. Mm -hmm. We, We see them in the prelude, which is one of the reasons why I'm really glad Betsy reread it because we see the end of one of them and dalinar in the last chapter sees the end of sees one. one with noah don yep. mm-hmm. nine out of ten people in the world died 90 percent of humanity died at the end of the desolation and at the end of w- which desolation that's that's the thing that's they discuss how they kept coming back it was a constant circle never ending of just death and war and hatred and pain and and the whole kind of story with the folktale uh i felt like really kind of hit that home because i know it's it's not much of a folktale as compared to again the story we got with the wander sale but the fact that the origin of an entire people comes still from one of the end of those desolations because an entire people were wiped out like yeah. we can't just we can't just ignore what the, these clearly meant, especially when the visions that now we know are real continually ends with a call to Dalinar saying, "Unite them, the night of sorrows comes, the last desolation." Yeah, and Dalinar makes a reference to that in this chapter. He specifically yeah. thinks about this like final des- desolation and like. I thought endless. you were gonna say final destination. Final, yeah, <laughs> final destination, final desolation, this endless night of sorrows. And Navani kind of frames that with these terrible things that have been happening, which are the high storms getting more powerful, men saying twisted things, and then the king of Jacavid being assassinated. And not just by a man in white, which I could be wrong, but I feel like when they talk about Gavilar's assassination, they just talk about a man in white. But this one was specifically cited as a shin man in white with a shard blade. Mm-hmm. So it's like more specific, I think. Uh, yeah, just to like drive the point home that this yeah. is our guy. Yeah. Or just that we're getting like. The, everyone is getting a little bit closer to what it, who it could actually like actually be or who it's connected to mm-hmm. but yep great to see Seth back again yeah even it, if he's just kind of mentioned 
Did you say great to see Seth to back see. again? Wait, yeah, you that's think a good the guy point, who's <laughs> being who's murdering people against his will and his soul is crying out constantly. Well, I I care about him. I want to, you know, it's great to see a reference to him. He's it is out cool there. to see a reference for sure. I love when <laughs> things are starting to come together. And, and speaking of that, uh, things are starting to come together in this next chapter. Oh yeah, um, very well. Uh, so, do you guys have anything else for? No, 61? I am. I am ready. I will just say, like, yes, Zeth is committing mass murder, but, you know, Calden's out here, he's been through a lot. He's complaining a lot. He is starting to get to know his powers. Zeth has been through way more. Very good point. (laughs) And he's already, like, his full power capacity. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Team Zeth. Zeth did nothing wrong. Bets, you want to start the subreddit? Wow. I didn't say wow. that. Wow, Zeth did nothing <laughs> wrong. Are you sure that's the hill you want to I'm die pretty on, sh- I'm pretty sure Bets just said that to me. No, I didn't say he didn't do anything <laughs> wrong. I just feel like he's he's going through a lot. Yeah, he really is. And he's just in the interludes. He needs some more he, screen he time. He really is. Hearing his, his inner thoughts, it's very clear that he, whatever this is, is a suffering for him. That's a good point. And he and he just wants it to end. He wants he wants someone to be strong enough to end him too. Mm-hmm. Don't forget on uh, the prologue, not the prelude, when someone yells, "What are you?" And he's like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. So, that you know, he's a misunderstood villain. That's what I'll say. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so yeah, we'll take it in to chapter sixty-two. Chapter 62, Three Glyphs While waiting for Sadius's army to finish crossing a chasm during a plateau run, Moash interrogates Kaladin about the prayer tied to his arm. Kaladin isn't sure if he believes anymore, but his nostalgia for his mother and her simple faith comforts him. Kaladin and Bridge 4 have been run ragged by constant plateau runs and nightly chasm duties due to brightness, Hashal's declaration. Before their approach on the final chasm, between them and the chrysalis, Kaladin goes to get his Parshendi carapace armor from the Lopin. At that moment, a soldier approaches and demands water from Bridge 4's supply. Kaladin knows that if that man gets his way, not only will the other soldiers drink them dry, he will discover the armor and reveal their plot. To prevent this, Kaladin stares down the man, reminding him that if he compromises a bridge during an assault... He's the one who will have to replace the missing Bridgman. So the soldier backs down. And Bridge 4 has Kaladin's back the entire way, standing behind him looking very menacingly and, and very strong after so many bridge runs. So they reach the final assault, and the Parshendi are already lined up on the plateau. It looks like it's going to be a bad one. Kaladin tells Rock he's going to duck out, and he does. He puts on the makeshift Parshendi armor, and he runs in front of the bridge crews, running to place the, the bridges down on the um, uh, between the chasms. All the archers focus their attention on Kaladin, shooting as often as they can, not maintaining a coordinated volley at all. Kaladin inhales the stormlight and dodges between each and every arrow, some bouncing off of his shield and armor. He also uh, performs a lashing, uh, which draws the arrows towards his shield, something that he realizes that he must have been doing for years. And this is the reason why Kaladin always survives. 
when he's run, running at the front of those bridges, he's pulling the arrows towards his hands and around him. So in succeeding in this, all of the bridge crews, every single one of them are able to place their bridges down. Kaladin has saved countless lives today in this new defying act. While, mu while musing over the overwhelming success of the plan, a group of Parshendi break ranks, run across the bridge, and aim their arrows directly at Kaladin again, just when it seems like all hope is lost. Dalinar Colin himself rides in in full shard plate and sweeps down about 50 Parshendi, like, kicking some of them into the chasm and cutting through a couple of them as well. The men are astounded to have been saved by Dalinar, although Moash insists that he just took an opportunity. And Kaladin is less sure as well because he's not very trusting of Bright Eyes. But overall, this has been an amazing day for Bridge 4. So, absolutely electric chapter. Um, Dalinar even salutes Kaladin um, oh, and Bridge a cool 4 moment. after he rides them down. One thing I'll also point out is that when Sadius is uh, confronting, what, what's the guy's name? Matal? Matal, yeah. Yeah. He looks, husband. he looks at Kaladin. Kaladin is standing right there. So in this chapter, Sadius actually addresses the, like Kaladin and goes, oh, yes, that's the one. And he, and he has the audacity to say, it's an absolute shame that all the bridges landed. It seems like almost a waste. Oh, that one killed me. It's Dude. almost like it was a waste, but I guess I'll have to promote you now. I'm like, you like, are fuck, such a dick. Fuck so you. <laughs> yeah, that's just so messed up. But, but I think it's really cool that Sadius, Kaladin, and Dalinar kind of have an interaction in this chapter. Yeah, the worlds are merging, and I think it just highlights the differences also between Sadius and Dalinar. Like, I feel like the moment with Dalinar and the bridge crew almost felt like with Sadius, it just felt like a regular moment. True. Like Sadius was there, Callan was there. It was cool. He addressed him. You know, worlds colliding. But that moment, it kind of like slowed down, and suddenly Dalinar was there. It almost felt like it was part of those like the legendary Dalinar that they all talk about. It felt very like the Blackthorn. Other like someone otherworldly coming into the scene. Uh, it was a cool moment. You know, it's a good yeah. juxtaposition, too. Yeah, I got to use a fun word. Uh, where Kaladin even comments early on in the chapter about how Dalinar is using bridge crews. It's like, so much for the honorable Blackthorn. Like, that guy is just full of talk, just like all light eyes. And then Dalinar saves his and all of Bridge Four's life. Like, that's that's just such a, haha, shut up, Kaladin. You're wrong. He's actually a good guy. And, you know, Moash and Kaladin... They're like, oh, he just saw an opening, but he saluted them. He did. He really did, and I thought that was very cool. That that hit home for me. Like that was just first off, that's like an interaction, but like two of the major characters of the entire book that haven't interacted at all, other than Dalinar uh, being commented on by Kaladin and Bridge Four, and Dalinar literally raises his sword, like the one of the most goddamn important things in all of Roshar, like priceless object. And he just salutes like these lowly bridgemen. And really, that was a really cool moment for me. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And um, and I thought it was really heartwarming when Bridge Four rushes Kaladin 
and yeah. and they're like, "You're amazing, you fool!" And Rock's like, "Was incredible," <laughs> you know. I nice. thought it was just so fun just to see them all, just so happy and full of life, and even even offering. Some of them were like, "I'll do it again. I'll do it with you next time," you know. Right. They wanna they wanna join Caladan, and there was a couple different moments where I in this chapter again we're seeing how they've come together and how they've trained and like really showcasing that. I think it was first when they're backing up Kaladin with um, the other soldier trying to take his water and they kind of like fall into line effortlessly and they're immediately backing him up and they're kind of showing their substance there. And then also I think there's a moment when Sadius like comes onto the scene and they kind of fall into formation next to his horse and you can just tell like the training's paying off absolutely and they're almost ready and they're probably all so jacked (laughs) they are it's important to note because also alethi are huge like the smallest person's six one so these are like six three to six six people who are just jacked absolutely (laughs) because they all they do is bridge run i don't think i realized that they were super tall yeah alethi are very tall and not, not to be fair, not all of the Bridge Four members are Alethi. Uh, Rock is a horn eater. He's actually bigger than the Alethi. Layton, not Layton, sorry, he's in the next chapter. The Lopin is her daisy, and he's a little smaller. Uh, Sigzil is... Sigzil. Is he Makabaki? He's from that region. Um, and he's he's probably 6'2". Six, Azish. Six he's one. Azish. He's Azish. Yeah, thank you. Azish. Isn't Azir a, king, a Makabaki kingdom? Oh, oh, is it? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, okay, that makes don't sense. Don't quote me, but I that think makes so. Sense. Anyway, uh, I loved that they all like formed a, a literal battle formation to protect him from that one soldier. And like the soldiers that saw it happen approved. Yeah. That that was weird that was awesome. to me. It was like it was a it was a, little, a tense moment too cuz cuz the whole thing was going to be uh, spoiled. And and it's worth noting that Kaladin said if this doesn't work out, you guys should leave tonight. Like escape. Teft had orders. I think I think we should comment on all of their mental health and capacity at the start of this chapter. Because they had been on three hours of sleep, probably for a couple weeks, gone on every single bridge run, and worked chasms when it was, they should be sleeping. And they were getting to the breaking point. Moash was literally saying, you know what, let's just attack them. If we're dying, we're, we're bringing some of them with us. Yeah, I feel like for the last few chapters now, there's been this sense of like they can only hold out for so long. And it started with just in general them being on the bridge crew. Their lifespan doesn't last that very long. And then there's been that added, you know, now they have to do every bridge run and now they're not getting a lot of sleep. And it's just the tensions building. And at some point they're going to have to actually act. So I feel like this was that moment where it's like, okay, something big is going to happen or they're going to enact on the plan. And that's sort of what results in this moment where, uh, oh my God, I almost called Kaladin Dalinar. I saw that. Jeez, wow. I'm getting them confused. They're in one chapter um, together and you can't even yeah, tell them one apart. chapter together where Kaladin kind of pulls out this plan where he's using the Parshendi armor, which we talked about in the last episode but that was such a crazy scene where he throws the armor on and all of the Prashendi turn on him and focus on him alone. Yeah, great, great, great uh, good point to bring up. Um, 
the Barshendi and Shen oh. did not like that at all. And and no, we got definitely got to mention Shen and how he was basically in a fetal position after seeing Kaladin run out like that. Yeah, that was the thing I was thinking about earlier in the episode when we were talking about something being brought up and feeling like it's going to play out in some capacity. Like we've had Shen on bridge four for a while now. And I feel like we've had characters talking about him and talking about his reaction to things, but I feel like we're still waiting for kind of the shoe to drop there. Like what role is Shen going to play in all this? Cause now there's really going to be an issue there. Right. With the way Shen feels about what Calden's done or the way we think he does. Cause we don't really know anything. Yeah, we have no idea how the Parshman and Parshendi feel, think all they know. All we know is that whatever Calden did was like a, a big no, no. I mean, right. How many archers do you think fired on him? Give or take a thousand, 1500. Like, that's so many arrows. Yeah. And also it's, he uses a lot of stormlight too. A ton. Like I think they talk about how he was literally in like experiencing shock afterwards because he, he like pushed himself really, really hard. And I think they talk a little bit afterwards of like, okay, don't push yourself too hard. Sill literally but, tells yeah. him like you went you went a little too hard this guy this go around. And you know, his reaction is brutal he he's like wow i could have saved everyone that i lost if only i knew i had these powers i know and then Sil's like kalanin stop (laughs) she's like that's not the point dude yeah (laughs) she's like stop just get out of your own head yeah i think she says he's like tearing himself apart inside by continuing to like be in this thought cycle of like i can't save anyone i can't save anyone um But there was a cool line when he was sort of in the midst of the battle and he talked about how um, like he wasn't like, I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't like he wasn't falling short of his capabilities. Like he was reaching his capabilities. Oh yeah. That was a very cool line. It was kind of him stepping into his abilities with the stormlight was very cool to see and like him being able to really harness them. Yeah. Uh, he's got he's got a long way to go if if what he can do is similar to to Seth but man that was awesome to see him pulling in those arrows into his shield and he he comments how wow I've been doing this a long time yeah. with the bridge pulling the arrows away I mean how many times was he in the death row yeah right probably by this point dozens I hope by pulling the arrows or pushing them away from him, he, he wasn't accidentally killing the people. Also, don't say that, dude. He goes through so I, much. Don't make no, him. Think probably, that. I hope he doesn't think that either, because I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think they were definitely hitting the bridge uh, itself by where his hands were touching them. Is what he did kind of fucked up with yeah. using the Parshendi bones and corpses to make this armor. I think it is. It, it is. Up. It's, it's kind of fucked up, right? It's definitely fucked up. And to be honest, up, I was going to save this for the next chapter, but I don't totally understand how this fits in to like their overall plan of escape or like the best thing for Bridge Four. Because I get how 
in my I mean I could be missing something but in my mind what he did here saved everybody in this bridge run and it's very focused on like okay now he has a way to ensure that he's saving everyone on the bridge runs because he's like focusing all the attack on himself but I don't think it does anything for their long-term prospects I don't know I wasn't totally like understanding I thought that this was going to be I thought that this plan that he's been he was talking about in like the last of the chapters was going to be some larger thing that then tied into their ultimate yeah. escape no for sure and I it's didn't see how that was playing out yeah i get what you're saying it's definitely short-sighted because his his immediate goal is is and what got him to even rock climb last up last uh, episode we discussed where he was sticking rocks to the wall was how do i save everyone so Mm. you're right the overall goal should be how do we escape but his immediate goal especially since they have to bridge run is just about saving people and he does it at the expense of one of their feelings and and that is shen's because clearly it is very fucked up to wear the body of and i also wonder like i mean that's a a great point i mean it's at the expense of shen and then it's also probably just not a great thing to be desecrating these bodies in general and then wearing them oh yeah but who knows when this is gonna bite him and the back again like he now has all the parshendi hating him and his rich crew like i just yeah. feel like it's not the best position to be in no it's a great it's a and very then just good like point. going back to Excellent what i was saying point. before i mean we probably should all agree with Kaladin that like we want to save everybody but i feel like in every single like the last like five Kaladin chapters i have just been thinking okay but like how are you going to get out of this situation? How are you going to get out of this situation? And then at the end of this chapter, it's like their next plan is escape. And I'm like, okay, we got to get to the escape. Let's, let's escape. Like we've been trying to get to the escape for so long. Like, how are we going to escape? I think, I think, I think both you and Kaladin are constantly thinking about that. Like in the back of his head, he keeps thinking there's no way to get out because they will chase us down. And then Alethi don't like escape slaves yeah so, so you're right and maybe that's you're a good segue right. to the I next chapter because i feel like that's a a lot of the conversation that happens take in us in 63 bets. let's do it chapter 63 fear back in the chasms Leighton is carving parshendi carapace into armor Calden smiles because he's forgotten this is horror movie stuff and chats about Leighton's <laughs> background <laughs> Teft is walking the men through spear drills. Scar and Moash are the most skilled, and Kaladin recognizes a fevered, all-consuming drive to train in Moash that he recognizes from a dark time in his own life. Kaladin waves Moash over and reminds him not to work himself ragged, offering to make him one of the decoys. He tries to draw out Moash's backstory, and the man says he's hunting vengeance. Kaladin sympathizes but that says that Moash still has to be careful. You can't help anyone if you get yourself killed. Moash agrees, but points out the difference between them. Kaladin wants to save someone, but Moash just wants to kill somebody. He won't say hmm yet. The men call for Kaladin to join them in sparring, 
but he refuses. Taft says it would be good for morale for him to show his skills, but Calden isn't ready to pick up a spear again. Taft calls out Calden's fears and hopes that he will be ready when the time comes. So, you know, this was a quick, quick little chapter, but we get some interesting info here. I love that you said, what did you say at the beginning? Kaladin forgets that this is actually horrific. Horror (laughs) film stuff. Yeah, because it it, it feels like it's like like everyone's in a good mood, (laughs) you know, as they're carving up the bodies of Parshendi. I know. I know. It's it's a little bizarre. It's 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 very very bizarre. So I, it's great, it's great that we're not forgetting that as we, as as they are like progressing towards possible escape. It's important to note it is at and the it, expense of the of these bodies. And it is funny to me. Like I know that Parshendi are the enemy, and I also know that Kaladin has his own like inherent bias against them that he's shown. But I feel like a big part of his whole morality is around, like, helping the little guy and being against the light eyes and the people in power and not trusting the people in power to always have. Like Robin Hood. Like, the right judgment. And so it kind of surprised, like, I feel like he even kind of acts that way towards Shen, where he's sort of, you know, helping him out and giving him the benefit of the doubt. So it sort of surprises me that he... I don't know. I guess he's got to make do with the situation that he's in, and that's part of Kaladin. Like he's got that survival. I, instinct, I agree completely, but. and and there have been hints about this also throughout the book we've been reading so far. Even Dalinar is picking up that there's more to the Parshendi than they think. To the other Alethi, they're they're just like primitive, like cavemen or whatever. But Dalinar starts to pick up that there's there's more to this. He sees that they start they are fighting in pairs. He notices that some of them may be women. Yeah, they step around the corpses. He notices the same thing that that Kaladin does. That, yeah, he notices the same things that Kaladin uh, noticing. Kaladin isn't like you said, but it's in a dire situation where you have to just survive. But also, like not even looking at it from a moral standpoint, we were just talking about this exact same thing, so we won't like extend the point. But I feel like it's a big liability that hasn't been addressed that Shen is on the crew and obviously has a huge issue with this. Like we were talking just oh, a few yeah. chapters ago about this fear of somebody turning them in. And not that I think Shen would necessarily do that, but they, now they have somebody on the team that they're not really addressing who could have this huge vendetta against all of them. Great point, but and Such I, a good I, point. One, one thing I'll say to that is that once again, this is like, mostly a lethe i think but might be the rest of the world as well they don't really view parshmen the same way that they view parshendi because the parshmen have been we've seen parshmen throughout the story so far they barely speak they're incredibly docile and they have been they are basically slaves slash servants to alethi and other figures like shalon in every Shalon chapter, it's like a Parshendi worked the lift. A Parshendi handed her a book or something like, or, or not a Parshendi, so, sorry, a Parshman. Oh, a Parshman. I see what you're saying. So it's like, even if they're starting to recognize traits in the Parshendi, they're still viewing the Parshman, the which Parshman is what Shannon as, 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 as a different. Yeah. Yeah. So Kaladin okay. sees 
Shen is just like one of those other parchment who don't act and who don't do anything unless told to do so. Yeah, barely. Speak. Whereas, yeah, exactly. Whereas you, a smarter reader <laughs> or like a smarter earthling, is just like guys, nice. <laughs> guys. Clearly, you know, like something. This you shouldn't do this. Well, put yourself in Shen's shoes for just a second here, right? Like. He is the definition of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, if he what, what's he going to do to go turn in Bridge 4? He's going to go to Sadius, the guy who put a Parshman in a bridge crew. The other thing is that we don't know if Shen can speak either. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so Yeah, we don't know do? anything about Shen or his motives. Mm-hmm. Like we have no We don't idea. even know if he can have motives at this point. Like it's something so the, uh, yeah, so the, the whole point is that I think that m- might be one of the reasons why. But even so, some of the bridge, some of the bridgemen are weary of of Shen, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's weird to be putting a parsh mitten in like their crew. It's it's a form of racism, and it really is in some form or another, speciesism, maybe. And they, they do know that there is some sort of connection because even Kaladin thinks he doesn't know how Shen will react to running a bridge against the other ones. The whole point of putting Shen on the crew is that they also didn't know how a parchment would react and they thought that it would slow down Bridge 4 and kill them all. Yeah, just massively right. prejudiced. It was supposed to be a sac- uh, sabotage. Yep. And, and it literally was like planned that way. Yeah. By Hishal or, or Gaz. I don't even remember who was the one who ended up giving Shen to Bridge 4. But yeah, they, they are bridge men. Yeah, and, they uh, are and, and I agree with Betts, though. Definitely, definitely weird liability that nobody's addressed fully. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Well, Kaladin reaches out. He tries. So. Oh, in this chapter? No, 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 no. It's not 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 in this chapter. He like avoids Shen in this chapter. It's <laughs> more like I'm talking about beforehand when he when Shen joined Bridge Four. He like he reached out. He tried to get him involved in all those things. Well, other than that, in this chapter, we get some, I think it's mostly like some interpersonal conversations. We get that moment with Moash where I'm wondering who it is that he wants to kill. Yeah. That was it's a very, very mysterious character, right? really he, grew him out Moash here. says that he had given up hope, but Kaladin has brought it back to him. And now he can seek his true goal, which is vengeance. And... It's awesome to see a character that initially hated Kaladin the most and now is his most loyal follower. Yeah. He's he's a really good like foil to Teft. Like Teft like looks at Kaladin as his like ultimate leader. He like calls him sir, captain, all these things and all of the other Bridgemen do. But at some point like Moash is like his like friend. Like he it's, calls it's him Kaladin. Like he's equal. Yeah. And 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 Kaladin loves it. He's like he, he feels more comfortable with Moash because of it. Moash can be like a confidant. He's like a really good like number three, I suppose. You want to put him behind Teft or something? Yeah, like I think he said that he doesn't call him sir like the other men do, and they kind of have this good moment where they connect and really like lock eyes and have this bond over um, kind of the types of vengeance that they want to get and things like that. I did have a. Um, trash man conspiracy moment oh, please. when I was reading that. But let's hear where it. Where I thought that maybe the man Muash wants to kill is Kaladin. What? <laughs> what? 
No comment. Like, literally, what a twist would that be? Um, Richie, how does she keep doing it? I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But that was, I I mean, I always, like, make a note of anything that pops in my head, and that was my trash man conspiracy moment. (laughs) That's amazing. um, We've been getting a lot of backstory in these chapters on a bunch of the guys and, like, how they ended up in Bridge 4. And... And then we get that moment where Calden is sort of reflecting on who is he talking to? Is it Teft when he kind of is thinking about being scared to pick up the sword yeah, and kind Teft. of being nervous to become the man that he once was, who was both confident but also failed mm-hmm. in his eyes. Yeah, he let yeah. his brother die. He tells Moash, he confesses to Moash, like, is that part of his past? And he, he is scared to be that man before he was the slave in the bridgeman. He doesn't know if he can do it. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And, um, and to Betsy's point, um, we, we are slowly fleshing out these characters and now we've got just a ragtag group. We know, we know, we kind of know a lot of them. Mm -hmm. We know now we know Moash has vengeance in his heart for something. We know Teft used to be a soldier. We know rock, tried to poison Sadius's food and that's why he's with Chaldung. Don't with forget Chaldung. what it was with. We don't know Sigzel's full story of why he's there, but we know he's a world singer who he worked with Layton. He was um a blacksmith he, or something. He was a craftsman. A blacksmith. No, no, no. Yeah, craft- he's the armor. He's an armorer, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, we don't know. We don't, he has we a don't tragic tragic backstory. Oh, like, yeah, his was fucked up. Do you remember that? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, a light eyes piece of armor broken. He took an arrow in the shoulder. So now I'm running bridges until I die. Like God, and, and he said that. And he said that the, the the his boss usually keeps keeps him around someone on Ugh. retainer just to blame for these situations, so that way they can be punished for it. Ridiculous. Yeah, so bad. Once again, fucking light eyes. Like literally, yeah. a lot of them are suffering at the hands of light eyes, and I think. That is um, definitely a theme amongst Bridge Four. Absolutely, everyone mm-hmm. they all hate and like Light people eyes. in power taking advantage of people below them. Yeah, and even Kaladin goes. Do you realize what you could have in these men, Sadius? Mm-hmm. If you weren't so busy thinking of how to get them killed, literally, it seems like almost a waste. I can't believe he said that. I know. <laughs> it was crazy. What? A, like, who says that? That's pure evil. Psychopathic, literally. <laughs> But talking I want to hear your um, your scar voice actor. Well, was, you it, say that it's line. so funny because I actually did listen to it again today um, from the audiobook. Michael Kramer once again fucking nailed it. He's like, it seems almost like a waste. <laughs> I suppose I'd have to promote you now. Like, dude, oh, like, come on. That's a Snape voice. It really that's is. So true. It's good. Yeah, it's so true. So good. Okay, there's one other major thing in this chapter that I definitely we have to bring up. Lay Cal- on me, Daddy. Collins got Stockholm syndrome. He's like, oh, ma- ma- maybe sh- we should just keep running bridges. You know, maybe know. that's the safest thing to do. Oh shit, I missed that. I what, missed that dude? He literally tells Teft, maybe we shouldn't escape. And he he kind of like shops it around with Teft, yeah. and Teft's like, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Teft's like, are you? Have you lost it? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, we could just keep going oh oh yes gotcha gotcha he's like this is the only thing i know <laughs> that shocked me i did not remember that when he's like that <laughs> it's because you know why he's saying that 
Right? Yeah. Well, he thinks they're all dead anyway. He thinks they're not going to make it. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't think they're going to make it because to Betsy's point, he needs to think about the escape at this point. He's, he's succeeded yeah. in this, in this, in the surviving the bridge runs, but it's not an end. And they talk again of some of the different, like uh, possible avenues for escape. Um, and then once again, Kaladin is kind of reminding them of how it looks really bad to, to like a high prince to let slaves escape and that Sadius will probably put like his full force at least eventually behind tracking them down and it's going to be very difficult and one thing that he puts out again which I still think could potentially be their best tactic is that they somehow manage to die quote-unquote during the bridge run do I think that they should be dressing up as Parshendi and dying anymore absolutely not yeah, that i didn't do not work. think that i do not think they should be going into parshendi territory i've crossed that idea out on my well, idea whiteboard did you realize <laughs> this when you when you said that last chapter richie and i were dying when you brought that up maybe they should just dress up as a parshendi and go in and oh because because like, because we knew that parshendi would react very negatively to this and then you were like why don't they just dress up and pretend to be one and i was like in my head i was like I think they could try. They they, could certainly try. Yeah, so that's definitely not happening. Also, I'm sure that like everybody, every Parshendi knows Kaladin's face now. Oh, yeah. But I don't know how they're going to get out of this. Yeah. No, it's a very tough situation. Um, One thing that might help them, though, awards. So maybe we should give them some as we go. We're going into the awards, baby. I will go first, and I will give. First of all, we're still calling this award the Crem, the Cremies, the Cremies, yeah. Until I can come up with a better name for it. And we still want everyone to send in their awards. Please send them in. Oh yeah, exactly. And send in for for at least next chapter, uh, next couple of chapters. Um, so I'm going to give the Rickon Stark Zigzag Award. Nice to Kaladin Stormbless for his excellent maneuvering to avoid getting pelted with arrows, something that a young boy in Game of Thrones should have done. Yeah, at <laughs> of least course, he's a little a little Stormlight certainly helps, though. That's a good one. That's a good one. You know, I also have an award for Kaladin from that chapter, but mine is the Neo from the Matrix award because I just, like, had this image of him, like, just dodging and weaving and bobbing all over the the shattered planes, dodging these arrows in slow motion. So yeah, he definitely gets the Matrix Award from me. Do you think it looked as funny as when he was dancing with the spear in the <laughs> chasm, or do you it think it was probably a looked a little moment? cooler? <laughs> I kind of imagine him like pirouetting. He's doing a leap. <laughs> He's dancing between the flying arrows. It's beautiful. Oh, it's yeah, it's a beautiful moment. <laughs> The song "I Need a Hero" is playing <laughs> in the background as he's like dodging the air. I feel like to one of your previous awards, Stopper, it was definitely a uh, like, "Why do the stormtroopers keep missing the Jedi?" Moment, yes. <laughs> like all of these stormtroopers are firing and they're not hitting. Absolutely. Um. All right, my award is the Geo Dude Pokemon Award. And that goes to the Void Bringers. 
Whoa. Okay. Could also be the Onyx Pokemon Award. Can you explain? Goes to the Voidbringers for being made of rock. Nice. <laughs> Crushed it. I like it. I like it a lot. I like that awesome. one too. Did you have another one, Depp? I do. I do have one more, and it was for the Black. It's the Black Sheep Award. It's going to Layton. I knew it was going to go to Layton. Obviously going to Layton. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, no. I was just the the apprentice. The master gave up because he made a mistake, and now I'm running bridges until I die. Yeah, it's um, definitely going to Layton. I like that. Uh, I have one more because I just thought of. Um, I'm sure he's already showed up in the chapters before, but we're just going to give him another Eagerless Jacks award, and that goes to Gaptooth Harbor. Yeah, <laughs> Gaptooth Harbor. Gaptooth Harbor, because like at this point, I don't think there are multiple Harbors in this group. Why can't you just call me <laughs> Harbor, my man? Just call me Harbor. <laughs> Why do you gotta put Gaptooth first? Yeah, <laughs> there's not like a, there's like regular Tooth Harbor like next. Oh to him. my god, that's so good. I actually thought of another one during this. Uh, the third wheel award is going to Renarin for when he is in that room when the Vani and Dalinar is just oh, there yeah, for we didn't propriety's give sake. <laughs> Was he in there the whole time? Until the very end and when they closed the door and they kissed. Yeah, he's oh, there. Oh, oh. oh we should, we, the, some sort of consolidation award to Dalinar and Navani for that for that first kiss. That was wonderful. It was sweet. And a, and a long time coming, Dalinar. Right. I'm going to give a... Guess who's back? Back again. Award to Zeth for oh. appearing in this chapter. We missed you, buddy. You really like Zeth. <laughs> he's very misunderstood. <laughs> hey, he's been surge binding from the beginning. The original surge binder. Our man. Um, all right. Well, I've got my bus ticket. Daffy, oh, yeah, you got yeah. yours? Yes, I do. It's right here. Betsy? Do you guys have any other spoilers to share with me this time? I don't um, think so. I don't think so. Uh, you might not be able to join the spoiler bus, Bets. I'm sorry. All right. I'll catch you guys on the next one. <laughs> to the Kremlings listening, we're going into the spoiler bus section of the podcast. Our conversations will be centered around these specific chapters, but in the context of all of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere series. Stormlight, Mistborn, Warbreaker, Elantris, White Sand, Arcanum Unbounded, Trust of the Emerald Sea, and Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. It is so hard to say all of those in one breath now. Can he please to stop writing? <laughs> Just wait till we add the Sunlit Man. Just And then another one. And yeah. then another one. And then another one. So if you are caught up, stick around. Um, and if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at highlyinvestedpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at highlyinvestedpodcast where you can send in your rewards for the next couple of chapters. Um, it's going to be... Another three set, uh, so it'll be yep. 64, 65, and 66. And we'll we'll read them on here once we start getting a bunch in. Um, until next time, Kremlings. The words... Dapper, you must find the most important words a man can say. Fuck my wash. These words are accepted. And we are back in the spoiler section. Me and the Dapper Man. Nice. Ready, ready to dive in to three new chapters. 
Uh, there's not much here, I don't think. Right, a lot that, of buildup. No, 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 not that much. If we just go by chapter by chapter, I mean, the, the few things that I I recognize. First off, holy crap, Dalinar thinks about how much he can't remember his wife a lot, a yeah, lot. Yeah. Like, how yeah, did yeah. I never never pick this up when I was doing my, whatever? I I dude, I know the first time I read this, I feel like I did. Like I remember the shh shh, but I knew that it was more. Like I knew that it was like a. Like Betsy said, another Chekhov's thing where it was like, it's going to be apparent later on. Yeah, it, it didn't felt seem like, like it was Frodo. Focus. All right, keep your secrets. And yeah, I like, just never a, wondered. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But then we had some real foreshadowing around the Radiant. Something that like, it was probably the first or second thing that they said that was completely accurate. Was that legend says that some of the Radiants turned against humans. Pretty, pretty... Pretty on the nose foreshadowing for the skybreakers there to me. Yes, but then it also could just be foreshadowing for just the recreants itself. Yeah, but did they turn against humans? They didn't really turn against humans. The, the desolations them. were over by that yeah. point. I mean, paused, long pause is a good way to put it. But they were there weren't any more Voidbringers past humans, and so they went, "Oh shit, maybe we shouldn't be bad guys," and they gave up their power. Is giving up absolute power ever evil? It's a great question. Thank you. And we'll save it for the philosophy podcast on morality. Can't wait for that. Very (laughs) excited for that one personally. But we did get we we can talk Stormlight Five prologue, right? That's allowed. Yes. Are we sure? I we've talked about it already before, but you know, we'll just say right now to the Kremlings listening in the spoiler section. We will also be talking about the prologue to Stormlight 5. If you have not read it, it is on the Dragonsteel website or Brandon Sanderson's personal website. Both. Just look up prologue Stormlight 5, quick Google search, read it. We will be talking about it right now. Holy shit. So- <laughs> yeah. Navani didn't like Gavilar and she like straights up admits it here. Yeah, she's like he's not what everyone thought, and he's like Dalinar goes, "Stop talking bad about him." Yeah, and we we get a Navani flashback in Rhythm of War. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But honestly, that's all I really had for Chapter sixty one. I mean, yeah, they make a comment about how Voidbringers could possess bodies of men, like the fused can. It's just yeah, it's just foreshadowing. We're building, baby. We're building. Right. Okay. So 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 Chapter sixty two. Obviously, amazing to see Kaladin. You know, using the stormlight, pushing through, we see the reaction from the Parshendi. But what are what are the spoiler aspects of this? I don't think there are much. No, uh, maybe one. I mean, the next assault is the is the tower, so we're just getting ready. Like there, there's it's nothing. A, it, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. I just want to get into the ne- get get into the assault. Assault. Basically, the rest of them are going to start putting on the carapaces. They're all going to be running out. And at the end, all of them are going to be decked out in Parshendi yep. armor, really fucked up. It is fucked. Gonna... Can't can't disagree. Um, I see you have a note here that you hate that Tef dies. Yeah, I just hate that what? Tef dies. I hate it. I'm sorry. I, I hate that Tef dies. He's so good. He's so, so when pure. I'm doing when I'm when I'm doing the the marathon training right now, I'm listening to Rhythm of War Part Four, and he just died oh. in there, and it is oh. This is what we can actually discuss, and we can bring this into Chapter 63 as well. Okay. Right? Because we're trying to, um, we're, tr- we're trying to make Betsy see how the connection between Moash and Kaladin is becoming stronger. Yes. And that's not a lie. 
the two of them are connected, are bonded, and are very similar. Incredibly. Two, two sides of, of the same coin, if you will, right? It's just one has chosen a different path. I mean, we see that in this chapter, or well, in the next chapter. Kaladin fights to save, and Moash fights for vengeance. Right. And another thing um, that I was pointing out to Betsy is that Moash truly respects Kaladin, right? Oh, they yeah. are the, not called not worships as like the other like the bridge crew members, but pure respect for any decision he makes. Moash understands Kaladin, mm-hmm. and that is why he knows what can stop Kaladin. And when I listen to this chapter, dude, oh my god, he, no man, he, dro- he drops. He, yeah, he tells. Bef- the, the chapter before, he tells someone, he goes, no man can kill Kaladin Stormblessed. And then he drops Tef's body in front of Cal. And then he and then he goes, nobody touch him. If you do, he will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> this is, he, goes, he goes, this is how you break the storm. <laughs> it's just amazing. Oh, and he knows him so well. <laughs> Moa- yeah, Moash, wonderful. Just wonderful. That's not even Moash by that point. That's Vire. That's Vire. That is he yeah. who quiets. He has he has no he has no pain anymore. No pain. He's giving it all to Odium, and it it kind of is similar to the story of the Wonder Sale, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is you feel okay doing anything because you're putting it all on the idea of the king, and in this t- case, he's literally giving away his emotion and his pain mm-hmm. to Odium, and he feels it after Navani beats him. He feels the pain that he has caused to the only man he ever really respected. Right, when he's which running is away exactly like the Wonder Sale, right? Like, yep. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's wow, incredible. I never really connected that. I wish we talked about that in the Wonder Sale. Damn. Well, yeah, I mean, I just like I said, I just got to that chapter, and I, it really put it together. Oh, but a lot a of what Odium does is, a lot of what the Wonder Sale is is foreshadowing for Odium in general. Yeah, very right? true. Oh, absolutely. It's foreshadowing, it's foreshadowing for Odium. It's foreshadowing for Dalinar. You can't have my pain. Mm-hmm. It's foreshadowing for um, Maya, the sword. She we goes, chose. You can't, we chose. You can't have my pain. You can't use it for this trial. Right? It's it's all about like keeping. It's all about saying like these are my actions, my decisions, my choice. Right? And I choose to live with my with 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 everything including the pain. I know. And that's what Moash runs from. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that one of the things we can talk about is just how Moash is being built up here. Oh, yeah. And it's it's, and it's for awesome. the next book. I mean, he goes way crazier when he gets oh, the shards. Dude, oh, my God. It's sick. It's sick, man. I'm so excited. I can't wait till we get to We're getting to the tower next chapter, dude. It's it's, it's coming, man. It's right up. It's the next, it's next three chapters is, is the tower, I think. <sighs> Yeah, so I'm really excited, but I have I have no uh, real spoilers for for both 62 and 63. Nah, just foreshadowing. I mean, we could talk about how I'm, Kaladin's about to go off and fight, but I mean, not yet. And and obviously, oh, poor Relaine. I see you note that as well here. You know, it, it is tough to think that he eventually will be forgiving Kaladin for what he did to those bodies. He does. He fully but, forgives Kaladin. But even Relaine right now in Rhythm of War, like, is working to like save Kaladin. And he's working hard. He's infiltrated. To be fair though, he also did lose 
his people, the listeners, to the singers, yeah, all of the listeners, to the fused, become the to fused, the fused, yeah, yeah. So Relaine doesn't feel like he has a home, and it's sad to see these beginnings here with Kaladin, um, because when the singers get awoken, when the parchment get awoken, and they realize you know they're singers, and when the listeners die, Relaine loses everything. He's oh, considered yeah. a traitor. He's considered a traitor by the singers for running away in the first place and with the listeners. He's considered a traitor by the humans because he was a spy. Yep, um, and the listeners are gone. So I really hope that, you know, in this next book, we can Relaine and, and Venley and the ones who went off to go find those listeners that survived. Mm-hmm. I hope that they can, they can find some sort of peace there, you know? I hope so. I, th- I, there are so many characters, I hope, find peace. Really, Brandon, please, for the love of God, have a happy ending at the end of this stuff. Like, please. I, I need this to not be awful. T- tough ask. Tough ask. He's going to kill someone, man. Someone's oh, dying. Someone is dying I mean, that we love and care I about mean, in this next book. Uh, yeah, great point. Uh, I was going to say Kaladin. I would say Liren, I feel like, has a lot of red death flags. Yeah. But but at that point it's like beating a dead horse. It's a beating a dead horse. Nice. <laughs> because Damn. It, no, seriously. Because how many times is Kaladin going to lose somebody? You know? know, you can't. It's like it's like every every book. Brand, Brando Sando is trying to find a way to break this man further. I mean, the really one think about it. The one that'll destroy him is Sil. Dude. I know. I, I'm mad at myself for even saying that. But what? they know how to kill a Spren. They do. They do know how to kill a Spren. I'm gonna leave it there. It's all theory now. We're not even on we're not even in the chapters. But I am terrified for Sill. Yeah, I mean Yeah. I mean if we could, we can continue the trend and just continue to make Kaladin suffer, but at a certain point, you know, it's getting a little old. At a certain point man- he'll swear the fifth ideal and become honor. It'll be great. And he'll he'll bond with the I don't know. He will be honor, and he will bond with Adeline, and Adeline will become like the most powerful Knights Radiant and kill Odium, and then Roshar will be saved. That's what's going to happen. Oh, another small point from that Rhythm of War chapter. Moash also says the only hand that can kill Kaladin Stormblessed is his own. Oh, just <laughs> crazy! It's just foreshadowing, yeah. dude. It's just foreshadowing. Yeah. It kills me. But the reverence that Moash has for him, the respect is is sick. It's I awesome. I, I, I like what, I like when you're like just, he says he just. Oh, I hate saying it, but he drops Tess's body and goes, "No one touch him." No, <laughs> seriously, he literally drops the body and goes, "Okay, this is how you break him. This is how we." He goes, "This is how we win." And then he goes, nobody touch him, and if you do, you'll 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 cause his vengeance to be upon you. <laughs> and, and then the, he takes Liren and he goes, one. he goes, if he does move, kill Liren, and then it'll happen again. Yeah, <laughs> literally, then, then he, literally. Then like, oh my god, he's so good. He is brutal. Oh. And he is crazy because he will not fight Kaladin because he's like, no man could kill him. That's yeah, crazy. I'll that lose. doesn't make sense to him. <laughs> he's I know. like, you can't. Because he's still Bridge 4. He's still he Bridge understands. 4. understands. Oh, Bridge 4 forever. Yeah, his goal is to get Kaladin to give away his pain to Odium. Oh, God. For it to become so much that he gives it to Odium, right? That is his goal. Um, yeah. 
Because then he becomes Odium's and Oh, another Ooh, Wonder Sale metaphor is Shallan. Shallan uses Veil to hide the fact that she kills uh, her spren. Yep. Right. And Yulai. Yeah. And Yulai. No, yeah, and Yulai. Because I think Radiant, Radiant is Radiant the one does who it, kills. Yeah. yeah. So once again, a, a, a you can't you can't have my pain, my memories moment, right? So Shallan can keep moving. Uh, akin to the Night Watcher. So there seems to be a theme, you know, going on there. A little bit. But just wait for the next Hoyt story, and we're going to be able to connect every other theme to it, of course. Next yeah. one is The Girl Who Looked Up, right? Yeah, I got to I gotta reread, reread that one. Oh, that I love that great. one. All right, well, we've completely gone off tra- we always the rails do here. So we, so we should, we should probably tone it back. <laughs> yeah, um, but I had I had nothing else for, for these chapters. No, I'm right? set as just well. Hype. We're just hype. Let's... Let's take us out. Uh, thank you to the Kremlings for listening uh, and joining us in the spoiler section. Uh, as I said in the non-spoiler one, if you'd like to contact us, email address highlyinvestedpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at highlyinvestedpodcast. And we will see you guys next week discussing chapters 64, 65, and 66. Until next time, Kremlings. Betsy, I would love to ask you what you think of the trade that uh, LeGregan and I just did. I gave him Scary Terry McLaurin, and I got in return Sam Laporta Potty. What are your thoughts? What words did you just say to me? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Are you talking about sports? (laughs) It's fantasy football. What what words did you just say to me is amazing. Are you making a fool out of me? No, I no, no. I'm not. Those are real people. I actually, I really did that trade an hour ago. Did you say a porta potty? Yeah, but it's, his name is Sam Laporta. I have no context to offer. Well, feedback. If Richie puts this in Kremlings, I'd love to hear your thoughts on my trade because I finally was able to drop Tyler Higby, and he is not good at fantasy football. Good, good at football. Not fantasy football. Oh, God. So DK Metcalf goes from questionable to healthy. Same time, Tyler Lockett goes from healthy to questionable. <sighs> the goddamn Them, Them's are the breaks. I've always said that. Those are the breaks. Always said that. <laughs> Episode 22. I think that's the first time you've said them's the breaks. I've literally always, every episode I've said them's the breaks. <laughs> that's been my catchphrase this entire time. So <laughs> Them's yeah, the breaks. Know. Oh, man. Them's the breaks.